happening now. We want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the Edit Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. This is episode uh, this is episode number 261 of the EdTech Situation Room podcast. Um, my name is Jason Neifer, and I am the executive director of the Montana Digital Academy, which is Montana State Virtual School, located on the beautiful University of Montana campus back in Missoula, Montana. And the reason why I'm saying back is because tonight I'm joining live from Pacific City, Oregon. So uh, I have a lovely Airbnb that I am staying at, and my wife and I have been very much enjoying um, being out of Montana for the first time uh, in, uh, well, outside of Western Montana, Eastern Washington for the first time in a year. And uh, we're really excited uh, to be here. And tomorrow I will go visit family and Saturday. Um, actually, right now, my niece is graduating from high school on Saturday. We'll celebrate her high school graduation. So it's great to be around family and friends. It's great to be outside my, my, my home city in Missoula for just a little while. But Joining me tonight, as always, <laughs> Dr. Fred Westfriar. How are you tonight, sir? Good evening, Jason. I am doing awesome, and it was wonderful to see a, a selfie from an airplane and the look of joy, as well as you know, uh, you know, it was a, a masked. You, you were a you were a masked traveler for a, yes. a few hours, I'm sure, but uh, exciting to be able to venture out, and I'm hopeful that this is just going to be a great. A great experience and a good, quote unquote, close return to normalcy for you. So I'm joining from Oklahoma City, where I will be a resident for a prob- you know, another month, maybe another five weeks, something like that. Uh, I'm excited to be joining the team at Providence Day School in Charlotte, North Carolina in August, where I will be Um, a computer science teacher in the middle school and part of the ideas team, which is the innovation, design, entrepreneurship, analytics, and sustainability department that has been reconstituted and uh, just super, super fired up about that. So on a personal note, we got a contingent offer on our house yesterday, but they didn't take our counter. So we are still uh, uh, waiting for the sale of the home, but uh, anticipating with the uh, you know price reductions and things we've done, this, this is gonna gonna happen imminently. My wife, although we weren't gonna say who, who's gonna see this, like five people. No, um, <laughs> she, has, she has an interview on Friday with a lab school that's affiliated with UNC Charlotte, and oh, cool. um, if she would be hired, we would qualify for immediate in-state tuition at UNC Charlotte for our our middle daughter who's traveling with us. We'll see if that if that pans out, but. Anyway, we are uh, excited to have wrapped up the year. We just had graduation and baccalaureate and our family all in town. And, and yes, all of all of the things with graduation. So it uh, it is a busy and crazy time, but it's a good time. So and there's a little tech news going on. I did not get the WWDC keynote watch before, but uh you know, it's always fun after Apple uh, makes some announcements. But I know, Dr. Neifer, that you will ensure that we don't just go down the rabbit hole of the tech correction and talk <laughs> Apple all hour. What is it that we aspire to do here in the next uh, 55 minutes? Well, we're going to, um, first of all, start watching this beautiful sunset. But other than that, um, uh, I guess maybe it's another hour and a half. So I won't tease people with that yet. But 
Um, we're going to take a look at tech news from the last, oh, I don't know, one to five weeks-ish, things we found interesting in the news, and kind of shoot them through the educational prism. If you want to take a look at our links, and, 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 and to be honest, we very rarely get through all of them, and there's usually great gems that end up uh, following off um, our, our top headlines for the podcast. You can go to our website, edtechsr.com slash links, where you can find uh, all of the, 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 the links that we go over. Uh, we have two documents now. We, we almost busted Google Docs with our first link document, and now we split to a second. But uh, this week we have several categories, uh, including the tech correction. We mostly avoided the tech correction last week, so it, it may be a siren song that draws us back into that discussion. Obviously, big events this week at Apple and Google, and we want to talk about both of those. Uh, lots of implications to education, I think. Um, I have an article that's labeled EdTech Correction, uh, so we'll have to go down that rabbit hole as well. Uh, security and privacy news um, and some Ukraine and Russia war news, and then we'll end our time with our Geek of the Week. So, Wes, I feel like we got to do the tech, tech, tech stuff first. Uh, and if we, get to, if we don't get to Tech Correction, it'll be a mess next week, too. So uh, it's not like it makes a huge deal. Would you prefer to start with Apple or Google this week? Well, uh, let's, let's start with Apple. Let's start with Apple. Okay. Uh, I'll do, I've, I've dropped a link in, um, you know, I'm a sketch noter, love sketch noting. And so, uh, Andy McNally for cult of Mac has a recap of WWDC 22's biggest hits via sketch notes. And so it is a lovely visual summary of, um, what was, what was announced in the keynote, um, Actually, and I had I have not seen or read about this yet, but the the built-in app that the iPad now has in, in uh, iPad OS 16 for collaboration, you can collaborate right from messages and FaceTime, and then they have this app I guess called Freeform. Uh, that's an app space to create ideas, share information. Um, that is super super cool, and uh, I don't. I think my our kids at at, at uh, my new school are going to have MacBook laptops. I don't think they'll have nice. iPads. But anyway, that was a, that's a nice visual summary. We usually when we have some kind of big event like this, we'll have you know some like you know venture beat kid you know the the hour long keynote in ten minutes or or something like that. So this is the first time I've seen, and I'm sure they've been done before, a, a sketch note that kind of summarizes the highlights. So I literally only got through kind of the beginning part of the customizable lock screen and talking a little bit about some of those changes, which aren't going to be earth shattering for schools. But I will say this, I think the ability to allow for some customization of your computing environment is actually pretty important. Uh, it's kind of amazing to me. We've, we've been Chromebook one-to-one the last couple of years at our school and just, you know, wallpapers. And we were, at, we were actually allowed, a very thankful, our IT department let us put stickers on our computers because that, that doesn't always fly. Um, but it's, it's interesting how that plays into identity and ownership. But I think that can be really positive when we're taking good ownership over our device, even when it's a school purchase device. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, there's some, some connections there. So any thoughts you have on WWDC or any of the announcements there yeah um i i threw an article in it's uh the verges uh, 16 biggest announcements from wwdc and you know a lot of these things i well and and, and don't let me end apple today west uh, before talking about traveling with apple stuff and this, this is the first time i've traveled with all apple things uh in al almost over a decade so uh big big change for me but um 
you know, there's a lot of iOS updates. iOS 16 is coming now. That will also be um, uh, uh, version 16 on the iPad and the and watch is a, a little bit different on how they they number. But uh, you know, interesting new things, uh, customizable lock screens, uh, some uh, updated notification pieces. Um, uh, there's going to be more ability. Uh, to put live things on your lock screen and the demo that the Verge is showing off from the presentation is that there's a little box in the lock screen that shows you uh, how close your Uber is to you, right? So uh, I'm assuming that's a widget uh, technology that allows you to put a live widget in. Um, uh, uh, little things, uh, more Apple Pay uh, uh, advancements. But the bigger things for me were obviously the things that... Um, you know, are kind of computer-based, and I think that has the most impact on schools. So first, the M2 chip has been released. Uh, the M1 chip released in late 2020, uh, I'm sorry, announced in late 2020, released in late 2020 is Apple Silicon, which means this is a chip that Apple not only designs, but manufactures itself. Uh, the M2 has been long rumored uh, 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 originally in 2021, and now it's here. And uh, I've seen a lot of different um, uh, uh, articles uh, trying to compare the speed. It's obviously not out in the wild yet, but most of the Apple's reporting 18% performance upgrade in comparison to the M1 chip. And as we've talked about, I think, several times on this podcast, the M1 chip is astoundingly fast. Uh, for the first version of Apple Silicon and 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 beats a, a lot of its competitors in a similar price range. Then the first uh, 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 laptop to get this uh, chip is going to be the redesigned MacBook Air, which will feature the new M2 chip. And I think there's um, uh, all sorts of, of, of kind of interesting bits in there. Uh, the first one is that for the first time since uh, the um, MacBook Air was released in 2008, I think it was, um, it's going away from the wedge design. So it always had kind of a good always tell MacBook Air because it, it tapered off in front, which made it look a little thinner and smaller. Um, it's so thin now that it doesn't really matter if you do that or not. Beautiful screen. Um, it's kind of adopting the, the, the MacBook language from 2020, or MacBook Pro language from 2021, uh, in that there's some uh, uh, beveled edges there uh, that uh, on the bottom that uh, hold all the hardware into it. Um, it comes with two Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt ports. Uh, there is a headphone jack in there, which I know some people are really concerned about. And then they have three colors. Space Gray, Starlight, uh, which is kind of a bluish, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Space Gray is kind of a bluish color, silver, and Starlight, which is a gold color, and then a, a, a blue, a blue or midnight blue um, will be part of that process. And they start at uh, $1,200, which is higher than, than the starting price of, of M1 MacBooks, uh, which it was $999. Uh, a couple of really nerdy things. Um, Obviously, it's it's a Mac, so getting more RAM or more storage is going to cost you a premium. Uh, they do, uh, I think, rely on most consumers to buy the base model, and then they make a lot of money when you do upgrades. Um, I went through and picked up a MacBook. Oh, I picked one up. I configured one on the website, getting the maximum amount of RAM, which tops out at 24 gigabytes. That's a limitation of the the uh, M2 architecture, apparently, that's limited to 24 um, uh, uh, gigabytes of RAM. And then I did upgrade uh, the storage to 512 gigabytes of storage, and I was able to easily get to $1,800 uh, uh, for that laptop. And then I always buy Apple Care because 
it's an extraordinary deal um, uh, for these these products. But I was looking at about twenty one hundred dollars uh, all in, which is not bad for a super premium laptop. On the Apple Care, so it would have been nice if we could have waited because of the M two. But uh, this week, my wife purchased her own MacBook Air because we had to turn in. You know, between us, I think we turned in three lap, you know, two MacBook Airs, a Chromebook, uh, two iPads. I mean, there was a lot of hardware yeah. to have to give back to the school. Um, and so anyway, uh, she, she bought one, but, but Apple Care is now available year to year and, and you can renew yes. it beyond three years. So we actually opted to do that. I think it was like $69 or something for one year. And then it'll just continue to recur as a subscription. But unlike the past where the most you could do was three years, I think that's a really good deal. And, and I have personally experienced on multiple occasions this huge wave of relief that we had AppleCare because a screen replacement or, you know, some other kind of piece can can absolutely, you know, pay for itself many times over. Um, so those are those are exciting developments. Are you seeing yeah. a new MacBook Air on your horizon, perhaps? Um, uh, pr- probably not. No scenario for me to get one at work for another two years minimum. Um, and in fact, I'm I'm probably going to give my MacBook at work to someone else on our staff. Uh, and then I've moved to a um, I've moved to a, 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 a Mac Mini at work because I prefer a desktop at work with my you know a ginormous monitor to my huge keyboard. Right. Yeah, that that's a big deal for me. And and I, I like docking stations. They're a clever idea. They just they're never as good in reality as they are in, in theory. So probably not. Um and in fact if I wanted to buy um a, a a MacBook for myself, what I would probably do right now is get a refurbished generation one MacBook Air. Uh because I, I've had really good luck with Apple in fact I've had great luck with Apple refurbished stuff. Not because it always works, but because if it doesn't work, they just give you a brand new one. So it's really not a big deal either way. Um, also to note, there is a 13-inch MacBook Pro that comes with an M2, which would be the closer the model I have. I have a, a, a MacBook Pro M1 uh, that is is uh, kind of similar to this. And same idea here, up to 24 gigs of RAM, um, uh, 20 hours of battery life, and it has a touch bar. And I can't say I'm a huge fan of the touch bar, but... Uh, you know, whatever is fine. So, um, and then there's just a lot of other little things. Um, it's, uh, and it's, it's kind of funny for me because I think, um, uh, uh, I, I'm not sure if a lot of people other than Apple people, right. The, the, the standard user that isn't super into their Mac may not care about this stuff, but a lot of these things are super sweet. Um, there's a, a something called continuity camera now that allows you to use your iPhone as a webcam. And there's even uh, some mounts that Apple will sell you so that you can use the magnetic part of the back of your iPhone. This is an iPhone 13 Pro, and I have a little clip-on a finger holder thingamajigger, but it's it's on there magnetically. And, of course, I have it in the, in the wrong direction, right? So it snaps on there um, and nice and, 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 and tight, too, right? Like, that's... Of course, we're going to do that and then drop it somehow. But, you know, it's it's pretty sweet. Um, so I think that's a really clever idea, um, especially since I'm assuming that Apple, because there's third-party software that is for you, but it's full of latency and it's not a good experience. I'm assuming Apple, that'll be super sweet. Um, plus, it's got good microphones, too. So that's also really great. Um, and then they also appear to be refurbishing iPad OS to make it more of a 
uh, well, they, they're still they're still working on it to where people could use it as a desktop replace, or I'm sorry, a laptop replacement. I'm definitely not there yet. Um, in fact, I want to talk about my setup here in a moment this week. But I think every time they add that, it's getting closer and closer to closer to being, uh, um, you know, a, a meaningful laptop replacement for many, if if not most people. Um, I want to highlight uh, two things that we haven't mentioned yet. Pass keys. So we've we've talked about some articles security wise recently about how Microsoft as well as Apple, Google, looking at ways to address password difficulties and, and, and hacking and and uh, identity theft and all this kind of thing. So basically, using Face ID and then your iPhone, it sounds like you're going to be able to readily log in across all your devices. You've been able to do some of that before. My wife loves being able to use her Apple Watch to log into her laptop. Uh, but that kind of synergy that Apple has across its yep. ecosystem uh, is really good. And I think that, you know, we, we, we beat this drum all the time. Every site needs a unique and long and complex password. And that's hard and that's challenging. And the bar for that is pretty high. And so what it appears that Apple is going to do with pass keys is make that security process much more seamless and just easy for people, uh, but yet secure. Um, the other thing I want to highlight is um, the fact that they are, uh, um, oh, medical. Um, you're going to be able to create a, a list of medications scanning with your iPhone camera, and then you're going to get medication interaction warnings. That is awesome. I mean, that is an example of some pretty sophisticated uh, algorithms. And I, I, you know, AI, I'm sure, plays into that somehow. But, you know, we've talked. We've talked about, heard about the sort of thing where like doctors of the future will be smarter because their AIs are going to read all the articles and be aware of all the things. And so anyway, now your device is going to be able to readily, you know, highlight potential uh, drug interactions that you might have if you're going to be, you know, starting some some new medications. And then also in the article that you shared, um, watchOS is going to come with, quote, a slew of new health tracking features, um, atrial fibrillation tracking, medication reminders. The Apple, Apple Fitness app is going to come to all users. And so this is the part of the show where we start to sound like Apple is sponsoring this show and Jason and I are all getting free Apple devices because we are so in love with their stuff. We are not uh, getting anything free. But, um, you know, I, I do absolutely love having literally the pulse of my health to a much greater degree today than I ever yeah. have before. I think the privacy that is being baked into these operating systems and these platforms is extremely important. That was something that we talked about on the last show with Google IO. They were trying to really emphasize was Google, even with the Google assistant things is trying to bake in privacy, but that's a little bit like, you know, they're, they're not leading with that. Uh, so I'm glad that companies are talking about privacy and, and I hope genuinely baking it in. And I do think that Apple is really moving the needle with privacy and, you know, we can all benefit from <clears throat> keeping a more close, closer pulse of our health uh, on multiple fronts. So I think those, while they may not have the immediate classroom application, because all of our kids aren't going to, you know, it probably doesn't matter where you go to school, I don't think. Every single person is probably not going to have an Apple Watch, you know, but um, there's a lot of folks that are going to have some kind of fitness tracker. And certainly from a personal wellness standpoint, 
these are things that we should all be concerned about. And I'm glad to see Apple, again, continuing to iterate, right? Because that's what we see at these things. It's a little right. bit of improvement here, you know, CarPlay is going to improve a little bit more with integrated, you know, presentation of uh, of apps and um what do they say? Just features and instrument cluster integration. And this is where Apple, you know, has so many, so many different things that they've got to update us on. But um, these, there are some of these that I definitely see, you know, immediate applicability to my life as a human, as well as my profession as an educator. Yeah, totally. And I just want to mention, again, this is the first time in, in, in many, many, many years I travel basically with all Apple stuff. And so I have with me uh, this week a MacBook Pro. I have uh, my my new iPad Air M1 that is actually what I'm using to uh, uh, jump on StreamYard, our streaming platform today, because it works really well on an iPad. And I was able to use my um, uh, my uh, AirPod Pros, which have excellent audio on them. I'm assuming I sound great uh, and that uh, there's no latency or anything and then an iphone 13 and you know it was about well, it was the beginning of 2021 that i kind of moved back towards the apple, apple ecosystem and then eventually uh bought a used phone and then bought a new one but i'm just reminded and and google has a lot going for it now too in regards to that especially if you're carrying a chromebook and uh um and a, a pixel phone but the what i would say is that this stuff is just built to work together and i'm absolutely in love with that it's just such a wonderful thing that um, I can carry these earbuds and they automatically move towards um, uh, whatever device I happen to be using at the time. I love that I have a, a, a 5G connection on both my phone and my iPad uh, through T-Mobile, and I can access that in, in, in literally two clicks um, on my uh, laptop. Um, and through Sidecar, I can actually take my iPad and turn it into a second monitor. Now, I'm the guy, and I, I am working three days this week. So I did bring a portable second monitor with me. But for a little while this week, I had a three monitor set up because I used my iPad as a display as well. And here was a virtual conference I was attending. Here was email traffic. Here's chat with my team. Um, and I was able to set that up uh, really, really, really well. And it all works together um, extremely nicely. And uh, and again, it, you know, to be clear, uh, Google has done a lot of work on that as well. You have a, a high-end Chromebook, a Pixel phone. Uh, uh, you're going to be able to utilize a lot of that same carryover, but it's really, 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 really elegant on the Mac. Absolutely, yeah. And I've been I, I use the continuity, the speech to text. I'm using more and more like all the time. Our kids laugh at us because we do so much speech to text. But then that whole con um, it's continuity, right? For the for the clipboard, yep. you know, of yep. being able to copy something here, paste it on the phone, you know, moving it back and forth. It's just it's phenomenal. So, yep, Yay. super great. I'll hopefully follow in your footsteps with the uh, the uh, earbuds, um, the AirPods at some point. Have, have it, yeah. Have it take, hey, but I have um, uh, AirTags, and uh, they're on the dogs. So as well as my keys. Oh, interesting. So, although our dogs have been swimming, and that's really not an approved use. So, uh, but yeah, so so far so good. We got to try to <laughs> try to remember to take their collars off. But they're yeah. this is the point of the summer where they start to swim at will. So. Yeah. Anyway, um, I haven't yeah. yet put it, put it in some luggage. Did you put an AirTag in your luggage for the trip? I loved it. It was so great. So, um, and again, you know, it all works together, right? But uh, so I threw an AirTag in my luggage. I also am carrying around 
uh, five or six, you know, separate items that have air tags in the tube, uh, especially while traveling, because I don't want to leave my bag behind, and I have my portable instant kit, kit. I don't want to leave that behind anywhere. Um, uh, you know, all, all sorts of that stuff is, is is part of this process. But I did throw one in my luggage, and what I really loved about it was that um, it, it's not updating in real time because it has to be near some other iPhones that are also checking for air tags. And I would imagine that Apple figured out, for example, if you're a baggage handler at the airport, suddenly everyone's carrying an iTag in their bag. It's going to kill your battery to do that, right? So I'm sure they figure out some strategies to mitigate that. But something about every 10 minutes. But when I landed in Portland, I did check a bag, uh, um, uh, which I don't always do, but I did this time. And as it turns out... Um, uh, uh, I knew when it was off the airplane because it moved. And then I knew when it was inside getting processed because it moved. And then I checked it one more time and it said it's 10 feet away from you. And I was like, oh, there it is. Right. Like it was, uh, it was pretty great. And, um, you know, I, I also like that I can walk away. Like I could be in a restaurant, leave my, my insulin, my medical bag behind. And when I get to the car, it says, wait, you just left your bag behind. So that stuff I think is pretty amazing. Absolutely. All right. Well, you want to talk about some Google stuff as well tonight? Um, I yeah, I do. Let me do a, one other really quick Apple article. Um, that uh, the EU has made a yet another deal with Apple that they will be moving to a USB C standard as the standard for future electronics, and EU has a lot of clout here, and in fact, almost has turned that into a um a realistic option for other places because of of their financial clout, but. You know, Apple was heading that direction anyways. Um, in fact, the only device I carry now that requires the lightning port um, or a non-USB-C port is my iPhone. And iPhone either 14 or 15 is pretty likely to be a USB-C port. And I love the universal charging nature of it. Um, but uh, it's not perfect. It's not as universal, I think, as some people make it out to be. But I still think it's pretty good. And as we pointed out last week, I think, you know, the new Chrome OS will let you know when you have an incompatible charger yep. trying to charge your device. So some of those issues, again, are being addressed by just making the software smarter. Yep, totally. Okay, so let's jump into Google. Uh, Google had an event yesterday that was called Anywhere Classroom. It's kind of a webinary style event. Um, I, I, I was only able to spend about 10 minutes in it before I needed to go off to a, 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 another um, event. But... Um, it only lasted uh, 40 minutes, um, and uh, it did have what um, John Sowash, who's kind of the uh, 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 Chromebook in the classroom guy, uh, uh, he said that uh, he or he considered the announcements to be much smaller or, or less expansive in nature than they've been in the past. But there are a couple of pieces here. So the first one is in Chrome OS 103, which I think is the release uh, that's coming in a couple weeks. Um, there's something that's been in uh, the beta versions of Chrome OS for, for a long time, which is a, a screencasting tool built directly into Chrome. Now, we've reported this to you in the past that it was coming, but it's an official announcement now. Um, and I've seen a lot of videos uh, of people utilizing it, and it's pretty sweet to have that functionality built right into the operating system. What's great about it is that it's really one click to get started. You can then screencast either by moving your mouse around or you can use the pen too to draw on the screen. And then it's one click save to Google Drive and then another click to share it. So it's a really, really fast thing. And it's not new to screen to, or to screencast on a Chrome operating system device because third-party plugins have done this for years. But 
having that native to the Chromebook, which means that you don't have to install third party anything there, especially if you're in the education world, uh, I think is a pretty uh, a fabulous strategy. So, you know, as a um, um, uh, as a Chromebook user and also a Chromebook teacher, Wes, any thoughts about the screencasting? You know, screencasting is one of the, the first skills that I have taught my, my fifth graders and reviewed with my sixth graders. Uh, we abandoned Screencastify. Sorry, Screencastify. You're Sherlocked uh, this year because we just didn't need it. You know, it was built in. And so I'm really glad for that to, to be receiving even more robust features. And I would just encourage everybody, whether you're a t- uh, classroom teacher, administrator, um, being able to screencast to you know, show what you know with media, represent your ideas, but being able to do that with precision, whether we're talking about, you know, editing a paragraph or an essay or, you know, demonstrating something else, it, I think that this should be a core skill that we all work on and, and we work on doing it, uh, with efficiency and, uh, you know, finesse. Uh, I have found as a teacher, and I would guess those of you that have screencasted before have found this too that I never get my best version right away. But when I end up doing it two or three times, I can really get my efficiency down. And I've, I've used this at times. Sometimes I'll give my kids a choice. Hey, you guys want to see this video of me or you want to do it live? We're going to literally waste more time if I'm bumbling around doing something yeah. live. And, and I love having a video. My wife really likes teaching that way too. Some of my most popular videos, incidentally, on YouTube are using uh, Scratch Junior and demonstrating how to make a maze game. But this is kind of a complex thing to do, but it's so wonderful to have that as a video, even though I can teach it live. It's just like, and that's not flipping the classroom where I'm telling kids to see it before they come. Uh, I'm using it in lesson, but the, the rewindability of that learning, the ability for them to go back and review and pause and, it's just so, so powerful. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. Yep, absolutely. Uh, second one is, and I, I don't really have any experience with this because uh, I'm, I'm in a virtual institution, but there's something called Cast Moderator, uh, which is a, a really exciting feature, uh, uh, I would imagine, for those that are using a, a classroom uh, 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 casting ability. And, and I'll, I'll say that this, this whole year, I've been using uh, Air Server which we had licensed way back in the day before Apple TVs were, were in our buildings and, and, and we were using it as an Apple TV substitute. But the fact Air Server on a Mac OS device supports not only AirPlay casting, but also Chromecast casting was absolutely phenomenal. And this last yeah. year, I had two screens. I brought a about a 42-inch television from home that I had on a table at the front of my room, and I'd usually have a slideshow up there, and then I had my big projector. But I absolutely loved every single day having students cast their screens to demonstrate. It's so much easier as a teacher to have a student, number one, showing their screen, because sometimes that looks a little different, or the feature set that's turned on or off for them as student users in your domain is, is a little different, but it's just, it's hard to be live moving your mouse and running your keyboard and talking and explaining. And so I think that is absolutely fantastic because that is a, that is a capability that I have really wanted more of our teachers to utilize. And I think it's a instructional pedagogy as we have devices 
Yep. And I, I haven't read all the details, but hopefully Cast Moderator also gives some potential ability for teachers to monitor screens and things like that. Because even if even if it doesn't, you know, the ability that I can say, hey, guys, can I, you know, I want you to cast, you know, and, and having kids being able to quickly share their screen and, and pop their screens up there, uh, it just has really, really huge educational benefits in the classroom. Yep, absolutely. Uh, next one, uh, uh, John's calling a surprise, uh, uh, which I, I agree with Figma for Chromebooks. Uh, Figma is, and I, I played with it before. It's actually something that, oh, excuse me. And that was kind of gross. Um, uh, it's live folks. So, uh, no second takes here. Um, the, um, a Figma is, is kind of like Canva. Um, it's a, a web-based design tool, but Figma is, is kind of started off as a web-based product design tool used to make things like wireframes and mockups. And it, it's advertised, uh, John notes, uh, used by design teams like at Netflix, uh, Twitter and, and Square. Um, and he calls it, it's like an extreme version of Jamboard. And what I really like uh, about this concept is that uh, Figma is has a lot more advanced design features. And while I don't need anything beyond Canva for 99.9% of my design work, in fact, I, I rarely open and I've got a, a classroom version of uh, the Adobe suite that I can utilize because we I have a, a access to cheap licensing. Uh, the bottom line is, is I never use it un unless I'm working on um, – uh, uh, a vector image, like a logo, something that I need to be able to scale. Um, it's going to be free for classrooms. And in fact, you can already go to figma.com and sign up. Uh, if you have a school email address, you can sign up and get the professional version uh, for nothing. But it, for me, I think this is a real movement forward for uh, 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 Google to try to advertise the Chromebook as being a power user's machine, right? Like, and um, uh, at some point, I'll talk a little bit about, uh, um, I might have picked up a, a, a totally on clearance, on sale, uh, really low-end Chromebook from Target a couple weeks ago to see what it was like. It's actually pretty good. Like, it's surprisingly, uh, you know, it's it's not the crappy Chromebooks of six years ago. Today's crappy Chromebooks are not so crappy is what I'm, I'm trying to say. But, uh, you know, it, I think it's good for, you know, helping see Chrome as a uh, Chrome OS as being a power user's, um, a power user's uh, uh, operating system. Man, that's cool. I've never, that, there's a perfect geek of the week. I've never heard of, of Figma before. Yep. Figma. So, and then um, a couple other uh, uh, interesting ones that uh, 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 some of these were already announced, but were kind of doubled down uh, at uh, the, the Anywhere Classroom event. Uh, better YouTube experience in Google Classroom. Um, uh, ex or, uh, great export improvements, those that uh, export Google Classroom to then import into your district student information system. It, there's a more elegant interface for that. Uh, better notifications uh, for classroom uh, email notifications. And they've also updated the originality reports. Um, there's also um, a new Google Classroom feature called Practice Sets, which has been announced for some time. Um, uh, uh, but basically, it allows you to take uh, uh, practice material, practice questions. I think of math here, like a math worksheet would be a, an example of this uh, from a PDF or directly from the camera and turns it into practice sets that students can draw or, or type on. So that, I think, is, is pretty interesting. Um, uh, better auto grading for things that can be auto graded. Um, 
there are more partners uh, for their Google Classroom add-ons. Uh, um, uh, it includes people like Adobe, uh, Kahoot, Nearpod, um, uh, Newzella, uh, Paradeck, all familiar uh, groups that, that I'm sure most uh, techie people have heard a lot about before. And um, there's also... Um, uh, they're working on on more data sync capabilities, and in fact, uh, the most interesting piece there was that um, they are partnering with Instructure, which is the the group that makes the Canvas uh, uh, LMS, um, to sync with Google Classroom data. I'm not entirely sure why you would do that, because to me, Canvas would be a, likely a preferable option for many power users for an online class or for a face to face class supplement, but um, you know, I, who knows what direction they're going in there. John has a real nice summary at the end of his article too, uh, pointing out that uh, number one, uh, Google maybe uh, not being quite as overly optimistic as they might've been in the past. Um, in 2021 at this event, they announced 21 new features this year. They were announcing 12, uh, but they are really listening and doing all kinds of research to, you know, provide updates and, and enhancements that the community is asking for. But we've talked about this before. Google has had a fundamental pivot and shift in their approach to monetization of the educational market. And many of the major features that Google announced, practice set, screencast, cast moderator, require districts to pony up money to a higher tier of Google's workspace ecosystem. Um, also, he points out Cast Moderator and Screencast are only working on Chromebooks. So if you're in a school, as I think I'm moving to now, that will be having MacBooks instead of Chromebooks, uh, not everything is going to be available. Um, and again, practice sets, which that that demo and video of practice sets really energized uh, some of the teachers in our school, especially our math teachers, as you mentioned. Um, it requires the premium subscription to Google Workspace for Education. So it's exciting. Uh, in the past, whenever Google would make this kind of announcement, it would be like, hey, this is great. Everybody can do this. Well, that's not the case. And just like and these aren't numbers that Google is necessarily going to publish. So this is a space maybe for state educational technology coordinators or directors. It's it's very interesting to me personally. Um, you know, what is our level of one to one adoption? Now we're probably pretty close to that being almost universal, not everywhere. Uh, but, you know, how many Chromebooks are uh, high schoolers and middle schoolers using? How many are using iPads? How many are using, um, you know, MacBooks and other devices? But how about the subscription levels? I think that'd be very interesting to know, you know, what are our large districts in, in our state doing? Um, you know, how many folks are, are moving up to one of those tiers? We certainly did the security benefits and the admin console insights that you gain uh, are really robust, uh, as well as like, you know, during the pandemic, being able to record meets. Was, was really important. So that article didn't mention the integration between Duo and Meet. And I think we talked about last week. That's gonna be interesting if you have a graduated permission scheme, we do where we are not really wanting our middle schoolers to be live chatting and, and even initiating uh, meets or video conferences. But when they get to high school, they, they can do that. It'll be interesting to see how that pans out. But anyway, I just thought that was a good summary. That's an excellent article by John. And he is phenomenal with his resources 
especially for Google certification. We kind of used his stuff as like the Bible of our Google certification uh, group that met on a monthly basis this last year. So I highly commend that. He's got good guides and that that's changed just in the last you know year in terms of, you know, less scenarios, more multiple choice or maybe all multiple choice, depending on the level and stuff like that. But great analysis and excellent recap. Yep. Great. Yeah, I thought it was really great, too. So, OK, Wes, well, we managed to use about three fourths of our time today to chat through uh, the Google and Apple news. Uh, do you where do you want? Well, I mean, we could do a kind of a related one security to get us elsewhere. Sure, sure. Let's go to that security one with LastPass. Go sure. for it. It just relates to what you were talking about in regards to what Apple's doing with passwords, but LastPass is announcing that um, you will soon be able to log into your LastPass on a laptop um, or desktop, so a desktop operating system utilizing your phone. And the way LastPass works right now is that it's called LastPass because it's the last password you'll ever need, right? And the idea here is that you actually uh, create a long secure password and I change mine about every six months or so. Um, and it's a, a long secure password that I have to memorize the new one of each time. And then if you know that one password, you can store the rest of your passwords, which should be long, unique and random sequences of, of, of characters uh, so that you can be ultra secure. And a couple of years ago, I went through the process of updating every password of every account I could find. I'm still not 100% done yet. I'm probably close to maybe about 92, 93%. I still run into accounts about every couple of weeks that are older that needed an update. Um, but, you know, uh, while you should always have, obviously, a password you know beyond your phone, because who knows, you know, your phone could get lost or, or damaged, and then you need that password at some point, um, it would make this that much more elegant to try to create uh, a means to log in via your phone. Um, uh, and I, I really like where they're going here. And, um, I think it's a good part of uh, a good part of what, what they're working on, uh, in regards to making security a little more, um, uh, a, a, a little more accessible to folks. And we beat the drum frequently. We'll do it again right now. If you are not using a password manager and if you are not encouraging your teachers and parents and really anybody in the community, because where are people getting this kind of advice? Hey, go watch my TEDx UCO presentation from a year ago in March called Technology Fear Therapy, where that is a huge focus. How are you going to protect yourself and your family from, from bad actors and from folks who want to steal your information, steal your money, you know, make your digital life a, a living, um, you know, a, a, a living nightmare. So, LastPass is an excellent tool. It's the one that we had recommended back in 2017 to our faculty uh, as we switched to two-factor authentication required for all of our um, all of our teachers, not for our students. I want to also do a shout out our IT department and communications department um, at my school where I'm leaving or have left actually today. I turned in my keys and my badge. Um, we use Blackboard as a student information system, and it's a lot more than that as well with lots of different business office and alumni office and things like that use. But uh, we are making that switch to the Blackboard ID, which will then synchronize with Google, which my understanding is that means we'll have, um, I think, a two-factor authentication protection. Um, anyway, it's in the name of security, uh, that that needle is being moved as well. So it is great to see these changes. And of course, this article about LastPass is going to apply to everyone, whether you are a, a Windows user or a, 
Mac user, Chromebook, whatever your device is. Yay, LastPass, yay for improving security, but also at the same time trying to make it easier for people so that, you know, you don't have to climb this this mountain that seems insurmountable when it comes to, you know, potentially hundreds of passwords that you need to address. And that, that still actually could be something we, we need to do, but this is moving in the right direction. Yep, absolutely. Well, Dr. Fryer, I think we need to head down. We're, I think we can do some headline articles here from the Tech Correction because there's a couple things that, that uh, I, I think are not rabbit holes, but just kind of amusing anecdotes from the tech world. Um, the first one I want to start with is a really great article from the Washington Post on May 31st where someone tried to uh, read all of the um, uh, uh, pr- privacy and security policies, you know, what you sign off to when you uh, utilize an app. And uh, uh, it was a million words long with how long uh, the, 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 all those things were. And, and, and they created a, um, a little, um, um, a, a little uh, simulator where you say the number of um, apps you have uh, on your, your phone um, uh, uh, well, it's by number of screens of apps. So estimate the length of privacy policies in your phone by entering the number of screens of apps that you have. So I'm going to go to my phone now and I'm going to assume that because I have them in folders that let's say it's, let's say it's five. So I'm going to say that I have five screens of apps and that's 504,000 words worth of privacy policies. And the average reader would need 33.6 hours to read that. So, uh, you know, basically a full-time job for a week just to, to find out uh, or read the legalese um, of your, your privacy policies. And it's just, it's undeniable that we've got a real problem right now in regards to privacy and, and, and what apps are doing. And obviously companies, you know, do, do this for legal reasons, right? They have legal reasons that, that they want you to sign off on this so they don't get sued later. But there's a real problem here, and uh, this is a symptom of it, not the cause. But um, when you say yes, you're probably introducing yourself up to some to some issues. So, if you needed evidence that there are lots of lawyers around too, then here's your here's yeah. your case study. So, yeah, totally. Wow. Okay. Well, on that bummer, <laughs> um, let's see. Um, Actually, you had an article last week about remote learning apps and student data. Do you want to grab that one? Yeah. Uh, So this is also the Washington Post. This is from May 24th. Um, I think this was the one that originally referenced uh, a Guardian article. No, it was Human Rights Watch. Human Rights Watch, a advocacy group, analyzed 164 educational apps and websites used in 49 countries. And they shared their findings with the Washington Post, 12 other organizations, the consortium, which is called EdTech Exposed, was coordinated by an investigative nonprofit called the Signals Network. Um, and what they found was alarming. Nearly 90% of educational tools. And keep in mind, these were a lot of these things were, were sort of forced upon students and utilized by districts uh, in a bit of a rush during the pandemic. Nearly 90% were designed to send the information they collected to ad technology companies, which could use it estimate students' interests and predict what they might want to buy. So what does this mean? Despite best intentions of COPA, FERPA, yada, 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 uh, we got a heck of a lot of exploitation of 
user data of minors um, happening uh, without permission um, and, and actually illegally because that yep. kind in the United States, this, this was a, this happened internationally, but um, the, uh, you know, the, the surveillance capitalism model is alive and well. And again, if you want a case study of that, you know, here you go. Um, what I think this means from an educational impact situation is it is super important that schools are auditing and, and aware of the different platforms and the different tools that are being utilized. And, and I say this with a little trepidation because I have experienced, you know, back in the day with Web 2.0, you know, being in school districts where the hammer came down and we ain't allowing no blogging tools around here. We ain't letting no kids right on the web. Um, I mean, seriously, there's there, there, there have been cases where it's, you know, it, it can become very disempowering. But today we have a robust web. We have a lot of tools that are COPA and FERPA compliant. And it's important. Of, <laughs> this shouldn't be news to anybody. It's important that we comply with the law. <clears throat> and so I would say <laughs> that, you know, school administrators particularly, educational technology and, and IT leaders, uh, we need to um, communicate with our constituents the importance of ideally being in good communication about the tools that are being utilized, the platforms that are being utilized. With a Google account, kids can click through a lot of different services, but those services may or may not be conforming to the law uh, in terms of, of COPA, FERPA, and, and legal compliance. A specific example of this that we learned about here at the end of the year um, was a platform I'm, I really love, and it's a Google platform. It's called Canvas. It's a Google Chrome app, but it is not part of the approved Google uh, ecosystem for Google Workspace for Education. And it was kind of mystifying because, man, we can't log into this. What's going on? This is a Google tool. Well, when you're not on a kid's account, which is marked now in the Google Admin Console as under 18, <clears throat> that's when you were not able to log in. If you were logged in as an adult with a, you know, with a, with an account that either was marked as an adult that was an education account or, or a, a personal account, you were able to, to log in and sync. And even though it's Google, not all the, the, the platforms and the development teams in Google are, are complying. So this is a really big, important issue. Obviously, it's not just for the United States, it's worldwide, but I thought that was an excellent investigative report. And this is an example of an article that really should demand action uh, if you're not yep. having these kind of conversations, uh, you know, digital curriculum and the, the ways in which curriculum digitally can be absolutely wonderful for students and engaging um, the things that are in the ecosystem of Google Workspace is, you know, it, it's better than ever. But <clears throat> we need to have conversations about this and uh, let's follow the law out there, folks. It, it's a good idea. Well, I'll go on the record and say, let's follow the law. <laughs> I, I, think, I don't think I'm going out on a limb there. Dr. Fryer is pro-law tonight, so uh, really, really uh, extending out the rebellious side of him. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, and at the same time, like, you know, let's make sure the laws are nuanced enough, too, that they, they, they keep the parts of, of the technology we want to keep, like the fact that Google's tools all work together. And, in fact, um, you know, I, I think uh, we talked about this a long time ago 
um, on the podcast. But you know, when the EFF started going after Google, uh, 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 Google's education tools, I, and I like the EFF. I've supported the EFF in the past, uh, and I, I, I think they're a good organization that's fighting a good cause. But some of the things they were talking about tracking-wise weren't about advertising. They were about letting tools work together so that they could make you more productive as an end user. But I am convinced that there's a, a middle ground somewhere here between, you know, absolutely, uh, uh, you know, no holds barred uh, sharing of data to whoever you want to share it with and a meaningful um, or so, so locked down that the tools aren't useful anymore. It's a middle ground somewhere in there, but I hope we continue to find that. Excellent. Um, Take I, us I down <laughs> yeah, this is a philosophical tech correction article. This is from Wired on May 31st. And a um, an author named Lauren Good argues that we need to bring back the AIM away message. And this article is super interesting because not only is it a... Um, uh, uh, an article talking about how we need to, 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 to adapt modern tools, but it's also the 20 year anniversary of the AOL instant messenger or aim, uh, as it was oftentimes called. And, um, Wes, I don't know if we've talked about, were you ever an AOL user? Well, I was through, Oh, what was it called? Apple, Apple had its own messaging system and you could be logged in with aim. I'm laughing because I remember, Oh, this would have been, um, you know, 2001. Uh, no, this would have been more like the late 90s, 98, 99, having AIM. Uh, and then I had a, there was a fifth grade teacher on the other side of our building. And anyway, she, this isn't something I would have wanted everybody to have. But anyway, she had this. And I remember, I remember being called for technical support via, via AIM. But I, but with, when I went to the Apple Distinguished Educators Institute in 2005 and came back, there's all these Apple people that I was connected to. And, I'm, you know, you could see who was online and, and, and you would have this little short one line message of, you know, Wes is teaching class or, you know, whatever yeah. you wanted to have. Anyway, bringing yeah. back some nostalgic memories of the old days. Right. Well, and, and to be clear, AOL was my first. I used AOL as an Internet service for a couple well, of years before did- I became. Yeah, yeah. Our, our, we did it at my house. I mean, that, that was how yeah. my family got online was through through the CD, I think. AOL yeah, CD. yeah, totally. Yeah. 53 um, hours and, of Internet. Oh, my gosh. And then in, in, in the mid-90s, which is when this was how I was getting my Internet uh, uh, at the time, um, uh, it, it was nine ninety five a month. But that was only five hours of access, at which time you then paid two ninety five an hour extra, right? And like even in 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 two thousand twelve, or I'm sorry, two thousand twelve, two thousand twenty two, with inflation and such, that still sounds like a lot of money to pay for for internet. Um, although I guess maybe a lot of end users are paying thirty, forty, fifty, sixty dollars a month now, um, and may not use it more than five hours a, a month, right? But um, ridiculous amount of money, but. There was a feature that, that that Wes was just talking about that allowed you to send an away message, which is you just click a button and you said, I'm not here right now. Um, I'm not here because I'm teaching class. I'm not here because I'm sleeping. I'm not here because I'm busy. Right. And you can set status uh, uh, pieces uh, on most of the messaging apps. But as we are becoming more chat dependent again, which it started kind of going away in text messaging and then it started coming back. And now, I mean, I uh, most of my team, uh, even the ones that are in offices two or three doors down, 60, 70 percent of our communication is via instant message. We have a, a, a Google 
um, chat uh, going on in the background all day long. We have groups, we have smaller groups, we have uh, individuals going back and forth. It's a really critical part of our um, uh, uh, communication infrastructure. And I really like this notion. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, and not just because I could also be a bit of a jokester when I was part of that process, but I just really think that there's a lot of merit to giving people the ability to tell people now is not a good time and I prefer not to engage with you at this particular point. So um, I couldn't agree more and I think that's an old school thing that we need to bring back to modern day chat. Awesome. Uh, let's see. Mm, this was an interesting one, I think also from a few weeks back. Um, oh, shoot. Am I muted? Nope. You're good. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Play with the mute button and you're afraid sometimes. Juggling my tabs. I need I need your multiple screens, Dr. Neifer. Um, so this was The Verge on May 31st. Uh, Supreme Court blocks Texas social media moderation ban. <clears throat> so part of the culture wars, part of the tech correction, um, you know, are these arguments over... You know, should there be any moderation on social media at all? And as we've talked about, there there has to be. Like, there is no way any of us wants to just be subject to uh, an unfiltered, you know, cesspool of content that is is not being moderated in any way. And legally, there are things that that have to be moderated. Um, but the the Texas law was struck down. It was a five four ruling, but it was over House Bill twenty. Um, and there was an earlier decision by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals um, and that House Bill 20 was going to forbid banning, demonetizing or downranking Texas users posts based on viewpoint. So this is the, the, the idea that conservatives are being overly censored relative to other voices and perspectives on social media. Um, and, you know, this this was struck down. So. Um, this is something that's important to talk about, important for students to understand freedom of speech, um, the First Amendment um, that pertains to government and private organizations. Private businesses have the right and in many cases the obligation to have some community standards and to enforce those. And so anyway, that was uh, an actual Supreme Court decision. And it was a 5-4 decision, ladies and gentlemen. So that also is, you know, kind of a, a big deal because when there's something as fundamental as as free speech and the, uh, the opportunity, the responsibility, the right that private organizations have to moderate and you have a 5-4 decision, you know, 5-4 decisions can, can go either way. So I thought that was a, an important article and kind of a, a sign of the times. And again, could be something to talk about with kids. Um, because these kinds of debates, yes, they involve political polarization and that can be a potentially hazardous and dangerous thing. But it is important to talk about. I'll go out on another limb, Dr. Neifer, and say it's important to talk about the Constitution of the United States and what those values mean and what the amendments mean and then how they're being operationalized and then where there's disagreement about them today. So we're not here, um, that I'm aware, in, in public or private schools to, to proselytize and to try to create little Republicans or create little Democrats. That is not what teachers in schools, I, I do think we're political actors to, uh, to varying degrees, but we're not here to you know support a particular political viewpoint or a political party. But what we are wanting to do is educate students and have them become informed and critically thinking citizens 
in our communities and in our nation and world. So these are good topics to talk about that have yep. a lot of varying opinions that people have today. Well, and I am a former social studies teacher, and I did teach government for a number of years. It's a real passion of mine. And I think social studies education is really the foundation of a, of, of a thriving democracy. But the First Amendment is a really excellent example of something that is so much more complex than it seems. It's fundamental. It's key to the American experience. It's a key to how we communicate with one another and, and, and how we live and advocate in this world. But it's way more complex than you've got free speech because uh, if the Internet's proven anything is that uh, your speech may be a little freer because you have a larger audience in a much more easy way. But what the last 20 years has proven is that that our laws do create limitations to that free speech. Uh, you know, the easiest ones to talk about is the classic uh, uh, the classic idea. You can't yell fire uh, as a prank in a crowded theater because that creates um all sorts of, of, of danger issues, but, um, you know, everything from free expression uh, of, of art and, and culture to, you know, what platforms that you are allowed free expression on and, and what happens when it's not your platform, um, those are all critical and a, a lot uh, harder than um, the First Amendment's uh, uh, core text. I know it comes as a shock, Dr. Knifer, but not only have we failed to get through every article on the Google Doc, we've also hit the top of the hour. Yep, there it is. So, uh, Wes, can you share your Geek of the Week, please? I actually added another quick one. Um, we have a family of geeks, and we are known sometimes in holidays and other gatherings to play Kahoot as a family. And so I put a link to a NASA-created Kahoot called NASA Firsts, and I learned some new trivia and vocabulary as a result of playing that, along with several others about Star Wars and Harry Potter and other things. Uh, and then, Dr. Neifer, thanks to your Washington Post article about privacy policies, I just learned tonight about the Twitter Data Dash. And it's uh, subtitled Level Up Your Privacy Game. The Twitterverse can be tricky to navigate if you don't know your way around. So we made a game to help you understand our privacy policy a little better. Welcome to Privacy. Get your dog data safely to the park. Dodge cat ads. Swim through a sea of DMs. Battle trolls. And learn how to take control of your Twitter experience along the way. So there you go. There's your, your gamified homework for the EdTech Situation Room. Well, I got a quick one to share that I'm reminded of now that I'm I kind of sort of traveling again. Um, it, this matters less to me in a world where um, I have a lot of uh, 5G access across my devices. But if you're someone that's going from hotel to hotel or convention center to convention center uh, to airport, although don't get on airport wireless because airport wireless is a, a minefield of doom. But um, if you uh, uh, end up having a, um, a a screen that you need to log into. Um, because most sites utilize what's referred to as SSL, which is a, a, an encryption mechanism to encrypt your traffic, um, sometimes the uh, CAPTCHA screen um, uh, that or captive portals sometimes called oftentimes uh, it won't it, it doesn't find it because it's not um, you're, it's you're trying to go to an encrypted site so it just errors out and creates issues. There's a wonderful website that's called neverssl.com. 
It's a simple HTML-based website. You go to it, and it's not encrypted, and uh, the uh, router sees that as someone trying to get out, so it needs to put up the, the, the captive screen for you, um, and it brings it up every time without without issues. So I, I use it so much when I'm traveling, I actually put it on my home screen. It's also a bookmark in my uh, laptop, and so if you're a traveler and you've run into that issue where you have a hard time getting on the free internet, uh, neverssl.com could be the tool for you. So, Wes, where can people find you on the internet? Head on over to westfriar.com slash after, and you'll have more links than you ever really wanted of channels from, from Wes. How about you, Dr. Okay. I'm on Twitter at Tech Savvy Teach, and this here is the EdTech Situation Room, where a once-a-week podcast on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Uh, Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Central Time, although later this summer we'll be moving uh, to 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, so that we don't keep Dr. Fryer up into the, the, the midnight hours so he can get his beauty rest, but... Um, uh, we'd love you to join us live. Uh, we broadcast over YouTube and Facebook. You can always find the link at our Twitter account, EdTechSR. Um, and also, if you want to check out uh, the podcast otherwise, they're in all the aforementioned places, plus wherever finer podcasts are aggregated. Or you can go to our website and download a tiny MP3. Uh, until next time, stay safe, stay savvy. We hope to see you on the next episode of the EdTech Situation Room. Good night. Good night.